0: Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchison. Hi guys, welcome back to the Think Orphan podcast. For those of you who might have missed our first few episodes, I'm Dr. Karen and I'm Phil's new co-host for this season. And I'm super excited to be here, even more excited for you guys to hear our interview today. It's absolutely in my wheelhouse and I get really, really excited when I get to hear from other professionals and people in ministry with like-minded hearts and minds for children who don't have families.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm super excited for today too. I know that we have a great, great show in store. We got Tom Lukasik. He is the uh, four kids of South Florida's vice president of community engagement, and he's just an all around great guy that I know you will love his uh, just his heart and his stories. Um, but before we get there, we got a new segment that we're going to be um, we're going to be introducing, and then after the interview. We have some more thoughts from the field from Jason Kovacs, who's at the Austin Stone Counseling Center. And we also have a recommendation in the Phil and Karen Recommends section of this podcast, which I'm, I'm always excited for that part because I love sharing what I'm learning. And I know that uh, Karen loves sharing what she's learning. So before we get to all of that, uh, we have this new segment, which, you know, we're, we're calling, it's pretty simple what we're calling it. It's just Ask Dr. Karen. And, um, the, what you're going to hear though, it's hopefully something that you'll learn a ton from because she has so much experience, so much uh, work that she's done in all these areas. And I just thought it would be great for us to learn from her about some of these terms, some of these concepts that we hear about a lot, but we might not fully understand them. So the first topic, the first subject that we're going to talk about in this segment is adult attachment. So Karen, can you just share with us what adult attachment is and why it's so important for us to understand it?
0: I think a lot of people are familiar with the term attachment, especially in orphan care, families who've grown through foster care or adoption. Most of us know the word attachment and we know it because it's often really masked and clouded by this gloom and doom type of um, statements or literature or blog posts or podcasts. We hear attachment in the world of orphan care and it's often framed in a way of kids who've experienced trauma, abuse and neglect have a hard time connecting and forming healthy relationships. And while those things are absolutely true, there's also big aspects related to attachment that are hope filled and that when we know we're parenting and providing care in a very intentional way, it provides children with hope of learning how to form, create and create lasting and healthy relationships. There's this whole area related to attachment that is hardly ever talked about, and it's wildly important. I would say in my clinical practice here, Phil, In Louisville, Kentucky, it is probably the most important topic when I'm working with parents who have already adopted. My hope is that it would be a very important topic for parents who are considering being foster parents or parents who are considering growing through adoption. And so this term that you mentioned adult attachment is essentially the idea that as adults. It matters how we were raised. It matters how we were parented. The experiences that we had early in life, they actually impact every single relationship that we get to be a part of. And so we know that attachment Theory tells us over and over again that those first zero to two years are wildly important for children to learn how to have healthy connections and to learn how to form lasting and healthy relationships. But it also talks about the fact that those early situations from zero to two, those early interactions, they actually impact the way we form our later relationships, whether that's through peers in preschool and elementary school and our teenage years, through dating relationships, through relationships with our coworkers relationships with our adult siblings relationships with our spouses so essentially the way that we are parented, the way that we are provided care, the way that we are taught to have a healthy relationship, it actually impacts the way that we interact in our adult relationships. And so adult attachment is the concept in this idea that it's incredibly important to know who you are and to know whose you are, to know where you've come from. And so what I'm saying in that is obviously knowing who we are is our identity. Where did I come from? Who am I? But more importantly is whose we are are. And so when we come from a foundation and identity that's firmly grounded in the hope and love of Jesus Christ, then we understand that it's actually more important that I am a child of Jesus. I'm a child of the one true King, that God is my father and my identity is firmly based in that. And so what this looks like from a clinical perspective um, is looking at when foster families or families who've grown through adoption, we may have parented five 12, two children by birth, and it may have gone really smoothly. But what we know is that when we're placed in high stress situations, typically our parenting styles may revert to ways that we've been parented. That could be a really great thing if you were parented in a really healthy way. But research shows there's only about 50% of us that grow up in developed countries that actually have been parented in a healthy way. And so for the other half of us, that looks like we may revert and resort to some unhealthy parenting strategies in high stress situations. So let me tease that out a little bit more. When kids come from histories of trauma, abuse, and neglect, and they enter into our homes through foster care or adoption, most likely it is going to be a stressful and a hectic situation at the beginning and maybe during a long season. And so when we have those instances of increased stress, sometimes our parenting strategies, they actually decline and they decrease. And so as parents, when we're aware of how we were parented and how that impacts us, when we have taken the time to intentionally work through our story, when we know who we are and whose we are, we're actually coming to the table more prepared to parent children who have histories of harm.
1: Yeah. Wow. That's, that is some good stuff. That was what I was hoping to get out of that segment. You, you folks out there listening in, if you have any questions, any thoughts, any things that you'd like to hear Karen's thought on, Um, Send them in. Send them in to us along with your reviews that you might have. Put it on iTunes. That helps to get the show out there a ton. So reviews, ratings. Also, just engage with us on Facebook through comments. You can email us. But uh, definitely, if you want to ask Karen something, go ahead and send that in to us. But without any more uh, before this great interview, I I know that what Karen talked about relates directly to what uh, Tom is going to talk about in this interview, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts on it out there, and I'm hoping that you'll learn as much from it as I did. Well, Tom, it's so great
2: to have you with us here today. Hey, it's great to be with you, Phil. Uh, Looking forward to this and looking forward to just having a good, good discussion about what we're trying to do across the country what you're doing what we're doing yeah and and on that
1: note I know know that a lot of people that are listening in today uh, don't don't know your story don't know really know a lot about you Uh, maybe don't know anything about you Um, and uh, you know I've gotten to know you a little bit over the last uh, few uh, months and I just uh, would love for you to be able to share with with our audience uh, who you are and really how you got to be where you are today
2: Sure. I'd be glad to. And I think my story is similar to a lot of people in the church, a little bit similar to yours. I was in the uh, business world. My wife and I were working hard, solid believers, uh, loved what we were doing with our church, getting involved in different ministry and different things we did there. And then right around for us, it was like right around when we were in our late 30s, early 40s, We had one of those aha moments that just changed our life as far as where we were headed. Uh, It's very similar to the story that's in the book uh, Halftime by Bob Buford, where we realized we've got to do something more significant with our lives rather than just being on that hamster wheel looking for success. And it just changed our attitude, changed our whole direction from that point forward. My wife went back to school. We sold a business. We uh, just changed where we were headed. And one thing led to another. And we had an opportunity to become house parents for, um, I I still remember the ad in the paper. My wife read the ad and she said, look, honey, we can be house parents for six severely emotionally disturbed children. (laughs) (laughs) And that's kind of what I did. I laughed and said, why would I want to do that? Being the good godly man I am. (laughs) Yeah, right. wasn't really there yet, but uh, she, she did say it was um, uh, someplace that made it a little more appetizing. It was in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, was the job opportunity. And at the time, we were living in Buffalo, New York. Yep. So ex- weather extremes, you couldn't find one more extreme to the other. So we figured, hey, if God wants us to do this, we'll apply and he'll open the door because we really didn't have the expertise or the background to do it. But we applied and God did open that door. And that was in, it was it was right around this time, 23 years ago, 1994 in this uh, early, uh, early part of that year that we were in the process of interviewing and getting the job. And we started in April of 1994 and we moved into a group home uh, as house parents and our lives were completely turned upside down. And I've actually used a phrase from that ever since that, we all need to do that as the church, as the body of Christ. We need to turn our lives upside down to turn the lives of children right side up. Yeah. So, so that's, that's where it all started.
1: Yeah, and I just want to go back to – you had mentioned really where God – there's a story that you, know, you and your wife had an experience that really did change the way you saw not just you know, this area but really kind of the world. I mean it really changed your worldview in a way. Can you yeah. share that story with everybody?
2: sure our our church at that time was very involved in the pro-life movement and we started getting involved but neither Linda or I were really the the personality that wanted to be in front of an abortion clinic holding up some of those signs but we did participate in a pro-life Sunday where we were on a street corner had some my sign said something like um, it's not a choice it's a child and Linda' said baby's heart starts beating in 18 days and we're showing those signs as people are driving by and we're getting a lot of different sign language. People are beeping <laughs> the horn. <laughs> we're getting some thumbs up and we're getting some other sign language. Right. Uh, and, but we knew that we were at least getting the word out that this, um, this whole thing about abortion, which is this, this is back in the late 80s, just as our mm-hmm. you know, sense of history there. And one couple pulled up at, a, at the red light and right in front of us, the young lady in the car rolled her window down she looked right at my wife, right in the eye and said, if I keep my baby, will you be there for me? Mm. And then she looked back and forth at both of us and said, if I keep this baby, will your church be there for me? And then her boyfriend or husband or whoever it was driving the car, just, just like that, sped off mm. and we were broken because at that point we were all about stopping abortions, but we weren't understanding the rest of the story in that if we were pro-life, then we better be pro-life well, on past that stopping that abortion. And then as, as we looked on and we started doing more research, we started finding out about foster care and realizing all these kids in foster care, their moms chose life. Mm. For whatever that reason that they had to be removed, we, the church, should be there for every one of them, uh, not just because it's the right thing to do, but because the Bible tells us that that's what we need to do. So that was our aha moment. That's where mm. life turned uh turned 180 degree difference for us. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that you
1: know, that's led to so many things and we're going to get into some of those things today. I wish we had time to get into all of them, but one of the things is, you know, since 1994, since you took that job in that group home, you fostered more than 50 children. Yeah. And yeah. you know, what are some of the nuggets of wisdom? I know you have a ton that you could share with people, but just a couple things that you've learned through your foster care experience since 1994
2: that you'd like to share with Ooh. our audience. Well, one thing I we know today that I wish we would have known then, but um, is that empathizing with the child and what they've been through. We were trained very well. We were trained through a organization called the Teaching Family Association, and that did teach us a lot about understanding that child's trauma. Uh, but what I wish I would have. Well, here's what I. And forgive me for kind of stammering here, but it's just, it's actually getting a little emotional just thinking back at those days. But the things that were done to those first six girls that came into our home, that we were trying to help them overcome and help them get through, were things that should not be done to any human being, Mm. and let alone five-year-old girls and nine-year-old girls and 12-year-old girls. Uh, So... The biggest thing we knew that we had to do is we had to be Jesus with skin on for those kids. We had to love them unconditionally. We had to let them know that no matter what they did, we still loved them. We still dealt with the consequences of their behaviors and taught them through that. But more importantly than anything else was letting them know that we love them and Christ loved them, Mm. which was pretty amazing since we were not in a Christian organization at that point. Mm. So, But all of those kids, we, they allowed us to take them to church. They allowed us to pray and do devotions and do everything we would just in, as our normal home because that's what they wanted. They wanted normalcy for these children. So that was a huge blessing for us.
1: Hmm. And how, how did you – I mean and this is just – hopefully you can remember back enough and it's just – it's not an easy question. So I, I, you know, if you say I don't know, that's fine. But how did you as a man – Coming into this situation with these girls who, as you said, have been abused and things have been done to them that should never be done to any human being, empathize with them and really enter in to their life and and maybe how have you learned over the years how to do that better than maybe you did then?
2: Well, there, there was a situation that happened on one of the very first nights, I can't remember if it was the first day or sometime in that first week, that shocked me to my core but made me realize what was happening in a world that I was totally unaware of. So we're tucking kids in at night and normally, and I knew this from just previous history and professional work, to be careful not to ever just be alone with Mm -hmm. one of the girls all by myself. But Linda was just coming towards the bedroom and I went to tuck this one little girl into bed. And I said, okay, I'll change her name. I'll say, okay, Susie, it's time to go to sleep. And as I said that, she actually pulled the covers off of her and spread her legs Mm. because that's what she expected. That's what she thought was going to happen from a man because that's where she had been. And I pulled the covers back over her and said, that's not going to happen in this house. That's not going to happen here. That's not going to happen with me. And I didn't really – there was no training for that. Right. (laughs) That was just, oh, my gosh. And – Linda walked in right after that and I was just uh, p- pulling the covers over and then we prayed with her that night and that changed that trajectory of that relationship for her and for us that she understood that there was a she could trust us mm-hmm. and and it's what I've been saying ever since then about the importance of a godly man in the lives of kids in foster care most Men in their lives have used and abused them, and they need to see what a godly man is is supposed to do, and how he's supposed to lead a household, and how he's supposed to love, and that's such an important role for us as men, to make sure that we are living that out in every way possible, and and integrity is the uh, the key to that. We've got to live a life of integrity, especially when no one's looking, because they're probably looking. Right. Right, so it's just being consistent, really,
1: being consistent, yeah. being firm, uh, integri- integrity, integrity-filled lives, and that's yeah. that's such a great, great word. I think it's just something that, it's not, it's it's very simple yet very difficult.
2: It is, it is, because <laughs> you know there were times I I did it. Another time I lost my temper and. Uh, yelled at one of the children because she put another child at risk and uh, about 10 minutes later I came out and I said hey I am so sorry because I wanted them to know what apologies look like Mm -hmm. when I admit that I did something wrong the same thing so they could could see that life that this is how we are supposed to live we all make mistakes but here's what you do when you hurt someone's feelings or you you lose your temper so even that So it's amazing as you're asking these questions, all these kind of flashbacks are coming into my my brain of those days and those years. I bet. I bet. Well,
1: I know that it's led to some work that you're doing with four kids uh, of South Florida. And, you know, can you just give us an overview just generally what South or what four kids is doing? Um, And also while you're doing that, can you share where the where the name uh, four kids came from?
2: Sure, I'll start with the name. The name comes from Luke 2.52, because that's where Jesus grew, and and just to make sure I don't mess it up, I'm going to read it, and Luke 2.52 says, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So that favor with man is that emotional growth, the the stature is, of course, physical, the wisdom is intellectual growth, and the favor with God is is spiritual growth, it's character, it's Christ-like character. And we have designed a whole area of uh, work around that with our mental health counseling and our support to our families and our teaching to our families. It's called EPIC, which stands for the emotional, physical and intellectual and Christlike character that we're trying to build in each of our kids and each of our, not just our kids, but the family members and everybody involved so that we can help them grow in that balanced life. That's what Jesus was called to do in that area of scripture. And that's what we're trying to teach every one of our kids. So speaking of every one of our kids, we've been doing this, this is actually our 20th year anniversary for the ministry. And it started out of one church here in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and then grew to become a licensed child placing agency, contracted with the state. So 97 started the movement, 1999, we got our first contract and license. And from that point on, we've just been growing into a couple different areas outside of foster care. And to date, we've served over 20,000 children in those 20 years. Uh, we've had 500 adoptions, and one of the most amazing parts of this ministry is we have not had a single adoption failure in the history of the ministry. Now, I'm praising God for that and thanking God for that continued success, because that's not an easy task. And And we've got kids right now that are in the midst of some really difficult times. We've got some kids that are actually in uh, in a, like a camp-like setting to help them go through and overcome some of the trauma they've experienced, but the parents are not giving up on them. It's not a parent saying, I can't deal with you, go back to foster care. The parent's saying, I will do everything within my power to help you grow and help you heal through this. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the kind of families we have. Now, besides traditional foster care, where and part of our traditional foster care, and I think everyone listening would know this, but we recruit specifically from the church community for our foster families. Our Partnership with the church community is what this this organization, this ministry, is all about. We are just we feel we can be that foster care ministry for a church, but we're not going to do all the work. Then we're going to engage the church, so the church are, or the people in the church are the ones helping those families. So we just help coordinate all that and help um, become the facilitator for who can provide meals, who can come and babysit, who can do transportation, who can cut the lawn for a family, who can come out and uh, do a yard project for a single mom. So that's that's what Four Kids is all about, bringing the entire church around the foster child, just educating, encouraging, and engaging the church to do this work. So besides foster care, we have a, a couple of specialized homes. We've got some homes for teenage girls. One is specifically for girls who look like they may be headed towards human trafficking. So we have a home specifically for that. Got a couple homes to keep siblings together. And our total number of foster families right now is about 250 traditional foster families. Then we've got those other homes that I just spoke of. We've also got four homes for kids who've aged out of foster care. Two for boys, two for girls. And another two homes for um girls in an unplanned or crisis pregnancy. Mm -hmm. So we've got one that's a maternity home, and one that's an aftercare home. And then in in addition to that, lastly, I'll I'll close with this, we have assessment centers in two of the six counties we serve where when a child comes into care, we're the first ones to be there to greet them, to meet them, to Mm -hmm. help them through this difficult time in their life, and we call that safe place for kids.
1: Yeah, where can people find out uh, more about this if they want to learn um, and just kind of read about each of those areas? I mean, we'll get into a couple of them a little bit later in the interview, but just if people heard something there that really piqued their interest, something they're doing, something they want to learn more about how you're doing it, uh, what's a good website for them to, to visit? Yeah,
2: the website is four, the number four, that is, for kids of S as in south, fl, as in florida, dot o-r-g. Okay, great.
1: And we'll have that on the, on the show notes for this episode as well. Um, and you can well find as, out oh, everything
2: ahead. you need to know about the, the organization, the ministry there.
1: Yeah, that will be a that'll be great resource for people um, out there. So uh, the next thing I want to talk about, you, you touched on it, um, but really the, I want to talk about the importance of collaboration uh, in your work. Not you know, With the church, yes, but also with government. A lot of people in doing this work really try to avoid the government. Um, and I want you to speak to the the importance of not only not avoiding, but actually working with and collaborating with uh, government to get this work done as best as we can.
2: Yeah, I think that's one of the hallmarks of this ministry is how we've been able to do that over the years. For twenty years, even the first two years, we were a bridge organization connecting families to the government, and then once we got licensed, then we were we're contracted with uh, the the lead agency here in the state of Florida that does foster care in the counties we serve. And that some people are afraid of that, but if we don't do that, then we don't have the ability to minister to the modern day orphan in our community. So we realized that we wanted to do that so that we could do this well and, and be able to minister to those kids and get as many kids in Christian homes as possible. So one of the first things we did from the very beginning is well, I'll back up. We, have, we had heard stories about how the state was kind of anti-church in many situations, and we, as we found out more information about that, quite often people from the church would come and set up a meeting and say they want to help, but one of the first things they would say is, your system is so broken, you guys are so messed up, and we're the church, and we're going to change it for you. Well, nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> even the Department of Children and Families in here in the state of Florida, although they may not have the same drive or call that we have, they're trying to do the best they can. So they don't need anyone pointing fingers at them. So we came in with a different approach. We just said, hey, we've got access to this church community in your backyard. What can we do to help? So we we just came in asking rather than telling. And then the first thing they said is we need more foster families. Now, we knew that would be the answer. But rather than say, come in and say, we're going to find more families, we came in and asked, and that just made a world of difference in that beginning relationship to build that trust and that foundation. So we, we started finding families for the, the state and great families, families that were called. And then after that, we realized that there's still more to do. So we said, if we could open up a home uh, to take kids in that are more hard to place, what would that be? And, of course, in just about any community in the state of, in the state of Florida or the country, it's we need homes for teens and we need homes to keep siblings together. So that's where we opened up those homes. Then after that was rolling, we said, hey, what are you guys doing about the kids who age out? Oh man, if you can find homes for them, they're ending up homeless, so we did that. So each of those steps just got us a little bit, not only able to minister to those children, but able to meet the needs of our community partners, the state government here. So that really opened that door and and again, built that, that foundation of trust yeah, and I think that that's so key is is like
1: you said to ask the questions and then not just stand there
2: stagnant, but actually do something about it. It's, yeah, right. And the, yeah, and it, we always want to underpromise what we can do and you know, just overachieve as far as those numbers are concerned. Yeah,
1: that's that's one of the great sayings I, I like to have in, in my house and in in my organization is always deliver more than expected.
3: Yes.
1: Um, yep. and, uh, so also with the church, I, you, you've said to me, I know, uh, help, you like to help the church do what it can't do well and vice versa. Can you, can you give an example of what, what you mean by that and, and maybe how it can inspire people to do the same?
2: Well, sure. For kids, we've got, uh, a building full of experts when it comes to the local child welfare system. We've got, uh, people with doctorates and masters, and you know they've gone to school specifically for this. But more than that, these people are people who are called to be, be the body of Christ and, and be the hands and feet of Jesus in their community. So, so we can then come to the church and, and say, what we said earlier is, you don't need to start a foster care ministry. We can be that for you. All we wanna do is be able to come out and talk to your church, let them know the issue, educate them on the need, and get them involved in one way or another. And you know, so many organizations are saying this, but it needs to be said is we always say, whether it's a presentation or a one-on-one or a town hall meeting or an orientation, we know not everyone can or should foster or adapt. But James 1.27 tells us everybody should do something. We are called to exhibit true religion before God the Father, and that is to visit and be there for the orphan in their time of distress. Well, you can do that in many ways, and that's, that's again, where we get that whole church coming around to foster family. So uh, what happens in a lot of our presentations is the pastor will just come up to the pulpit and say, all right, who here, if we had more foster families, who here could stop by and drop off a meal every once in a while and 10 people will raise their hand? Who could just do some yard work and 14 people will raise who can babysit? Another ten people raise their hand. And then then he said, "Now, look around at all these hands up and say, if you want to foster, look around and realize you are not alone. You've got the support from our church. Mm-hmm. your your church family will be there for you. And then, of course, four kids will be the intermediary and the bridge between the church and the state to help them through the the maze of the foster care child welfare system.
1: right. Now that's such an encouragement, uh, I know as a ministry leader, but also, as someone who's you know at a church that that might be intimidated by this, right? I think that's how a lot of pastors are yeah. when they're thinking about this this big you know issue that we're that we're talking about today, and and so that's that's should be I hope that's encouraging for folks out there, and I, I encourage people to have their pastors listen to that little part to say you know what are ways that that we as a church can make it palatable for the person who might not otherwise uh, think it's possible to get involved in this huge call in James one twenty seven. Oh so as we move on to the kind of the, the, final segment of the, of the, of the interview talking about for kids, um, you know, you talked about how you work through the full continuum of traditional orphan care. You talked about that earlier. And when you were discussing, uh, what you're doing, people can go to the website to talk about that or to, to read more about that. But I want you right now to just share with us about two of the things, and, and we'll, we'll go one at a time. But the first is um, the home that you have for the girls in crisis pregnancy. And really, I want you to speak to the importance of truly connecting with these girls uh, during this time of their lives.
2: That, that's huge, and it's not an easy task. Hmm. We're, we're in a culture now where single motherhood is the norm, and there is no stigma to having a quote, unplanned pregnancy or crisis pregnancy. So the only reason a lot of girls come to us is because they would be homeless without us. So the, there is still that stigma where they tell their parents or they tell their boyfriend they're pregnant and it's not, not in my house. Mm-hmm. So we look at what we're doing with those girls is we're ministering to the, that orphan in their time of distress because they've been orphaned by their family and also the modern day widow because they're husband or father of the child has just completely disappeared. He may not be dead, but he is not there for her. So we need to be there. And as we're there, we're, we're immediately, same thing I said earlier, we're trying to build trust. And one of the things that we don't ever push towards, although we do educate, is adoption. We want the girls to be aware that there's an opportunity to give their child up for adoption, but we don't want them to think we're in some sort of baby-selling market. We just want them to know we are there for them to help them be successful young adults, successful single moms, if that's the path they choose. And so to do that, one of the first things we do is get them started on a a career path while they're in the home. Now, that might sound, you know, kind of like a big, holy, audacious goal to get a child who might be 18 years old on a career path, but we can do that. We have done it. We've had some great success. We don't want to just get them a job where it's a dead end job. We want them to be looking towards what can I do for the rest of my life with this child and teach them those responsibilities of how to connect with um, a discounted college or a discounted opportunity to get your vocation, whatever that might be, and how to make sure you have quality daycare and you don't make a mistake by leaving your child in a dangerous situation and, and the importance of prenatal care, of course, and the importance of taking care of your child once they're born and and the importance of a social support system around you that you cannot and you should not do this alone. We are here for you to connect you with people, connect you with the right people, and make sure those right people are there to help you raise your, your child. So one of the quick success stories we had there was we had a young lady who came in um, just devastated that she was pregnant but she knew she, she was raised in a Christian family so she didn't want to do anything other than have the baby and abortion was just not even an option which is great but then when she got here she was just oh my gosh what am I going to do I was planning on going to college and now my life seems to take taken this new track so we got her into a vacation school where she was uh, learning medical billing and she did that she got her certificate she went into a doctor's office. And the the folks in that doctor's office noticed how sharp she was and how good she was with with clients, with patients, and encouraged her to try to go on towards her medical school. Well, she's at Duke University right now to finish up becoming a physician's assistant so that she will be able to do just that. Her little boy is, I think, about seven years old now, so it's been a it's been a process, but by realizing the plans that God had for her, that she continued that process and is doing just extremely well. And one of the very important things we try to teach our girls is don't think a man is going to rescue you from this Mm. because there, there might be a man that you end up being with down the road, but make sure it's the godly man that he has chosen for you, not just some guy that looks like it might be a good idea. And that's a delicate conversation as well, uh, especially in today's day and age. But this girl got that, she is still single, and she's waiting till she has everything in, in order in her life before she even considers going back to the dating scene. So it, uh, it's just, a, and that's just one of many stories very similar, We got another story where a very similar track, the girl uh, got her teaching degree once she started teaching. Amazingly, a man showed up in her life that wanted to be not just her husband, but the, the father to her child. And that's one of the things we talk about is that man needs to be somebody who will live out James 127. He will take care of that fatherless child as well as you and be there for both of you. Uh, So we've got some really cool stories, but it all comes from that letting them know we're here for you. There's nothing in this for us. It's all about helping you get through this situation and be a successful young lady.
1: Yeah, that's wow. As you said at the beginning of it, it's 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 very hard work, but uh, it's one step in front of the other. It's it's providing them hope, the true hope, um, yeah. and that. Uh like you said. I think it's so important to remind them that their savior is not some man who's going to be a you know knight in shining armor. No. Um, we know as men that uh, we're, we're far from perfect, so that will <laughs> that will yes. uh, not be the savior. So there's one savior, and we're not it, right? So,
2: amen. And
1: on that note, I, I think that the the aging out of foster care is another area um, yeah. that is a massive, massive issue that we. You know, we're not doing a great job at uh, generally and overall, but you guys have had great success um, with your program. Um, can you share? You know, one of the stats is eighty percent of your kids stay out of jail. Um, yeah. You know, which you know you don't want to use that as like the the poster, but it's a big deal, especially given the the stats that are out there. And so, can you just share some of the other successes that you've had in the in this area and how you're
2: doing it? yeah, I'm looking at some other stats that we have compared to uh, the norm. And right now, seventy three percent of our kids who come through our our program, we call it the Spirit of Success Institute. And that name is all around when kids uh, age out of foster care in the state of Florida and just about everywhere in the country, they have the opportunity for a paid education. So we want to have this feel like what we are doing is not just a group home for, kids who are 18 and over, this is a, a off-campus housing for kids as they're going on in their education, whether it's college or vocation or whatever they're doing. So, so we're very uh, firm on making sure they're moving towards that. So with that, right now, we're at about 73% of the kids that we serve have gotten their high school diploma or a GED hmm. and are moving on towards follow-up to a higher education. That 73% is our number. 57% is the norm across the country. And then, then the, the important part after that is to get them to get a job. And not again, the same idea, not just a, um, a job that's not gonna get them somewhere, but help them looking towards a career. Uh, and again, I've got great stories there, but uh, our stats are 68% of our kids that have come through our program are working right now that while they're in the program. The average of kids aging out of foster care is 19% across the country. So we're three times better than that number. Um, now there's another number that's, uh, part of what we're trying to do. And these kids that we work with that have aged out are very similar to the population of the girls that are in the unplanned pregnancy or crisis pregnancy. But those stats are that kids out of foster care are 60% more likely to have a child outside of marriage. Our numbers are 15%. Mm. So four times lower than the average, even though it still happens, it's a much lower number. And then our kids after they're with us and they move out, um, that's where homelessness can and does occur across the country. 33% of the homeless population have spent some time in foster care. Only 5% of our kids have ended up at one point or another after they leave us homeless. Mm. Yeah. And quite often they come back to us when that happens and right. then we take them in and help them through that if they're willing to, if they're willing to learn. We, we uh, have a saying that when someone comes back that we will say, hey, we will take you back and we won't be afraid to kick you out again if that's necessary. <laughs> because there are some rules and they've got to follow up, but we've got pretty um, pretty simple uh, rules that we are asking for from our kids to, as far as what we're asking them to do. And it's simply that they report their whereabouts. We don't even enforce a curfew when they first come in unless they can't get up for work or can't get up for school, then we will. And if they, if they do have to stay out late for some reason, then just report your whereabouts. And don't do anything illegal. No drugs, no alcohol. That's you're too young to do. Alcohol in in the state of Florida, marijuana and all the other drugs are still illegal, so just can't be part of that. The hardest one for us to uh, enforce or have them accept is no overnight guests. Mm. So they can't have their boyfriend or girlfriend or uh, stay over overnight, and that's just part of uh, one of our rules that they have to accept, and and they. We get, we get it back a lot. Hey, I'm, I'm an adult now. I'm 18 years old. I can do that. Say, hey, yes, once you're in your own house and you're on your own and you've got your own place, if you want to do that. But we're going to encourage you not to because there's a, there's a reason God has a, his marriages ordained in the way it is. So so it's an education. Again, everything we do is about relationships. And the only way to educate someone is if you have a relationship with them. You've, we all know the old saying, nobody wants to know how much you know, they want to know how much you care. Yeah. And that's what we're trying to get across to our kids.
1: And so basically what you're doing is you're, you're just – it's kind of like you're talking about the other side. It's it, your one relationship at a time, yeah. right? And you're just yeah. taking each human being and you're loving them as a human being. And with that, I mean is that kind of the secret to your success, the secret formula so to speak?
2: Yeah, I'd say that that's it. Uh, every child is unique. Every child is – is coming from hard places that need to be helped through that and help overcome that but every child has an incredible potential and that's what we're trying to get across to every one of them no matter what age we're trying to build that into youngsters we're trying to build it into the kids that are over 18 and everywhere in between yeah and it's really hard especially when a lot of them don't want it no um, so and i say yeah that, Oh, go ahead well, that, that's part of the issue we're dealing with with kids in foster care is they've they've lost hope. Many kids have truly lost hope, and, and you can't blame them for some of the things they've been through and how many times someone has told them, oh, hey, I'm glad you're moving into my house, our house. We're going to be here for you. We're going to care for you. We're going to love you. And a couple weeks later, they break a window or say some language that the parents aren't willing to put up with, and they're they're throwing kids out, and our families don't do that. We have an uh, incredible stability rate uh, in our foster homes compared to the rest of the state of Florida, and that's because it, it's part of a lot of the process, but the biggest process is that they're called to this because God has called them, the Holy Spirit has called them, and they're they're living out that that call in their homes. And can you share the one story about the young man
1: uh, you talked about to me about before he's already being asked about management. And can you,
2: can you (laughs) share that story with our, with our audience? Well, to put it in perspective, we tell a lot of our young men is, and I don't know if it's like this so much across the rest of the country, but the bar is set pretty low here to be successful in some, some jobs as far as getting, uh, getting a raise or moving up with the, the ladder. Uh, because a, a lot of our youth in this community just don't want to work and don't want to be told what to do. So this young man just got a job at um, Little Caesars, and he's the for his shift, he's always the first guy to show up. He's the last guy to leave. He's willing to do whatever it takes after and stay a little later if necessary, and he doesn't miss a day of work, and he uses cordial language to his supervisor, his boss. So within the first week he was there, they were talking to him about his interest in. Would Would you be interested in becoming a manager here? Within one week, wow. just because he had that that common sense work ethic, which we would hope every child has, but uh, he has it, and he's learned it while he was in one of our homes. So he's he's doing great. He's not a manager yet, but he's doing great. Yeah, no, that's that's encouraging. I think for all of us parents, <laughs> whether <Yes>. it's biological,
1: <laughs> adopted, foster, whatever it is. It's really the little things. And I think that that goes for a lot of the work that we're doing. It's the little things that go a long, long way. Well, Absolutely. with that, we're going to go into the last couple of questions that we ask all our guests. And the, and the first one is uh, what have you read, listened to, or watched recently that has most impacted your thinking about how to love orphaned and vulnerable children with excellence?
2: Uh, I've just gone through a couple of books that I try to read every couple of years, and that's Crazy Love and Radical. Mm. And uh, I think every Christian should do that. If they haven't read them already, they should do it on a regular basis. And, and I'm still a spoiled, westernized version of Christianity here, and I still live a comfortable life. But every time I read it, I get a little bit deeper understanding of how spoiled we are and how comfortable we are in this country. And to work a little harder or take in somebody's child for a while to help them heal, that shouldn't be such a big considered a sacrifice that should be the norm so uh, there's a couple quotes that I try to live by and uh, one of them is Francis Chan from Crazy Love that it's a hard one to say but it's, it's very important it's our greatest fear should not be a failure but of succeeding at things in life that don't really matter mm. the first time I read that book and I this is not against anybody else and anyone else's free time but that first time I read that I was involved in a um, fantasy football league Mm. and i haven't played fantasy football since i was so concerned about trying to win (laughs) being successful it's something that meant nothing
1: right
2: what does it good does it do if i'm in first place in my fantasy football league when there's people suffering all around me so so that was very impactful and radical is just very similar in the, the same vein of doing what we should be doing back in our own backyard, wherever it is. And that's what I love about foster care, too, is my wife and I have just known from when we first got married we weren't going to be third-world missionaries. It just wasn't in our DNA. But we've been missionaries in our home for 24 years, 23 years, and that's what anybody and everybody can do. Mm. The other book I'm in the middle of, and it's uh, Walk to Beautiful. I don't know if you've heard of that by Mm. Jimmy Wayne. He's a young man who is a had pretty, pretty good success in the country music world. Uh, his book was a uh, New York Times bestseller. And when you read his story, he shouldn't even be alive. Right. And if he, if he is alive, he shouldn't be walking the streets and, and being a success. He should be in jail or, or being, um, you know, on drugs or in an institution from what he's experienced and what he's come through with that and and he's got a quote there about what we should be doing as foster parents that I, I think is important he says understanding and acceptance are essential if foster parents truly hope to bring any sense of normalcy to the child living with them mm. and, and that's just basic understanding and acceptance that's grace that's what we need to do we need to meet their needs be there where they where they are and help them through that time so that's those are the that's what I'm working on right now and trying yes. to Trying to stay focused, love my love my Lord, love my wife, love my kids, love my grandkids and and do this work that's uh, there's there's one saying I also have that uh, there are days that I have the best job in the world. I get to participate in adoptions and Incredible stories of success and go to a graduation of a kid who never expected he'd go to college, let alone graduate from college. And there's some days that I have the worst job in the world when we don't have a home for a child who needs us or I see some of the things that. People are supposed to love their children have done to their children, but we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world and we've just got to we need to be there for every single one of those children Mm.
1: Yeah, so true. That is so true. And I, I'm, I'm excited to read that, uh, that Jimmy Wayne book. Um, I know I heard him speak a couple of years ago at a CAFO a summit, summit and yeah. was very, yeah. very impressed by, uh, by his story and, and just his life. Um, speaking of uh, someone who's I- impacted uh, both of us, what one person is most impacted you're thinking about how to love uh, at, at risk and orphaned children with excellence?
2: That's a very difficult question. It Phil. is.
1: It is. I know. I know. That's yeah, why we ask it.
2: <laughs> I could say Phil Dark has influenced me. I, I hope that's so. not the
1: answer. I hope <laughs> there's someone much more influential.
2: Uh, well, I think I'm going to go back to that time with the aha moment. And it was uh, my pastor in the church I was in at the time, Rob Shank. That was 25 years ago. That's... Uh, he was leading that life of complete sacrifice. He was doing whatever he had to do to bring attention to the orphan—I'm uh, sorry—the abortion situation in our country, which opened the door to lead my, my wife and I to understand about the orphan situation in our country. And he's just been a man who has plugged away from the moment I met him until, and he's still plugging away now, is doing some great work in Washington D.C. Just bringing awareness and and he's the epitome of perseverance in my mind. He's done everything he can. So I, I just love him, still try to stay in contact with him and I'm uh, grateful for his his example of being a role model of what it looks like to not just get up on a Sunday morning and preach, but to go out there and live it in the streets every single day. Hmm.
1: Well, thanks so much for your time. I, I, this During our interview, I've been reading a verse that's behind you um, on your wall. And it's uh, something that, you know, from what I know of you and what I've seen in your life, uh, it it really embodies what you're doing. And I just want to thank you for that. It's First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, and stand firm. Let nothing move you. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because your labor is not in vain. So, thanks, Tom, for the time today, and thanks for living out that verse in in many many ways.
2: And right back at you, Phil. And thank you for spreading the word. Across the world about this world, this work we all need to be part of. If we call ourselves believers, then we should be living out James 127.
1: Well, as I've said before, I really love what I get to do. I, I love being able to talk with these men and women and learning so much from them. And, and Tom uh, taught me a, a bunch, and I look forward to learning from him for many years to come. Uh, Karen, what did, you, uh, what did you take away from, from Tom's interview?
0: I don't even know where to start related to everything that I took away from his interview. This interview was really powerful. I resonate so, so much with so many of the things that he was saying when, when you know, before we started recording today, Phil, I told you like, oh, this guy, he said so many amazing things and I haven't heard so much of these things said by one person in a really long time, and so I was encouraged by uh, what he's doing, by what he and his wife are doing um, in Florida, and really their model I think is is phenomenal. One of the things that really stood out to me was his example that he gave. And I think I don't remember the exact words, but he was talking about that that was a super powerful, a super powerful moment in his life when um, the young woman and the young man essentially were asking, you know, if I keep this child, is your church going to be there for me? And I think that the way that he spoke about that story and how powerful it was to him, I think that's so incredibly important now and has been and will be important. And I love how he's encouraging the church to come alongside of children who don't have families and not not just coming alongside and financially supporting, which is a wonderful and great and absolutely needed thing. But the church is literally coming alongside families who are fostering And adopting. And I think that one of the things that's so important that he touched on too, is he's emphasizing that just because we're a part of Jesus's family doesn't mean that every single one of us is going to bring children into our home to foster or adopt. But he's saying, essentially, we can all probably do something. And I really respect that. And I appreciate that as a clinician, when people are standing up, people in leadership, people within the church are standing up and saying, Hey, like this isn't, Um, a massive, wide mandate that every single one of you that hear this should foster or should adopt, because that's actually accurate. Not everyone should be fostering. Not everyone is in a season of their life or healthy enough individually. Um, Not everyone should be fostering or adopting. But I love the um, overarching statement of having people within the church help in various different ways. I was incredibly encouraged by that.
1: Yeah, and, and the other thing that he said, and I, and it really, as you could tell during the interview, um, it just hit me, it struck me, was just hearing him. You know, when I asked him about what it's what it was like, the first you know little bit that he was taking in those different uh, little girls who had been traumatized, and to hear his story about how he walked in and that the reaction that the girl had to him coming in the room, I, I wanted to hear your thoughts on that too, just. Um, I imagine that's not, uh, you know, unique to his situation, unfortunately, and how, you know, you can encourage people in the midst of those situations, how you can help people in the midst of those situations to really deal with them in healthy ways, um, to speak truth in the situation, but also know that there is a lot of, you know, trauma that we may not understand. And so if you don't, um, how can you, how can you really be uh, learning on how to deal with situations like that?
0: When I heard that segment, I think like most of us that will get to listen to this interview, I mean, our, my heart broke. My heart breaks. And that story is, is not a story that I haven't heard before. I, I hear stories like that every day in my practice and um, with the work that I do with children who have been traumatized. It's stories like that. It's retellings of stories like that, that literally make us want to fall on our knees and scream, Jesus, come back now. The the horrible stories that happen to children, not only in Florida, but in, in America and throughout literally the globe. And it's so important to understand that these things happen and that they're real and that Um, Kids aren't making these things up. It's important to understand that when a child or a teenager or an adult experiences anything similar to what Tom described, that... Those experiences, they stay in our body and they stay in our brain. That's trauma. Trauma stays and is stored in our body and in our brain. It doesn't mean that there's not hope. It doesn't mean that there's not empirically supported treatments related to mental health care that can help a child and a teenager and adult. It doesn't mean that Jesus isn't going to come right alongside as the great counselor and the great physician and help our children and our teenagers and our young adults or older adults who've experienced sexual trauma or any other type of trauma. I think that it just calls us to action and whatever action may mean in your story. I think that hearing a story like Tom shared as as sad and as awful as it is to think about is important for us as Christians to hear and to make sure that our eyes are opened and understanding even related to his story, that this isn't just something that happens in East Africa or in mm-hmm. Thailand or Cambodia. This is happening in the streets of our hometowns in the United States of America. And so, understanding that the church is called to action, and it doesn't mean that everyone's action is the same.
1: Right. Right. Now, that's that's so good, and I, it's just something that I'm I'm learning right alongside everyone um, of you out there, and I and I'm I'm hopeful that we can learn together, that we can really come into all this with eyes wide open. And I think that's what we're trying to do on the show. That's what we're trying to do as we're walking side by side and working together um, in this thing that we call orphan care. And, And it's really so much more than that. It's so much of us understanding ourselves, like you've been talking about some of the Even the adult attachment stuff you talked about at the beginning of this episode and some of the other things we've talked about, some of the things you talked about in your your interview, Um, and really, you know, some of the things that I've been able to um, talk with other guests about, and one of those guys is is the one that um, I was able to get some thoughts from the field on uh, for this episode. His name is Jason Kovacs. He's with the Austin Stone Counseling Center. Jason's a great friend. He's just a great man with tons of wisdom. We're going to be able to, we, you know, we have another interview that I did, was able to do, a full interview with him as well. But this just gives you a little taste of, of the wisdom that Jason's got um, in, in uh, anticipation of, a, of an interview that we're going to be airing in, in a few weeks. So um, without further ado, we've got uh, Jason coming, coming at you with some uh, thoughts from the field, talking about what uh, the biggest issue that he really, or one of the biggest issues he sees orphan care facing. And uh, how he thinks we can address it. So here it goes.
3: One of the issues that uh, the orphan care movement is facing today, I think, is that of all the children that that we are now aware of, and and we've we are fostering and we are adopting, we're now in the trenches. Uh, I think the orphan care movement has uh, has progressed and, and matured enough to where now we have a lot of families and a lot of individuals that are, that are involved in adoption, foster care, orphan care around the globe. And, and we're in, we're, we're in the affliction. Hmm. Uh, we, we're, we're familiar with the affliction that, that James, you know, talks about in, in James one twenty seven. 27, you know, pure and undefiled religion is visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Uh, so he, he told us that it was going to be hard, uh, but I think you know we're in that and and we're facing the reality of it, and and it's messy and it's hard, and I think uh, a lot of people are tempted to to back out, tempted to to give up, tempted to, uh, to 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 just you know move on to the next thing, and and I think one of the ways that we can address that is. It is again, going back to the, the nature of God, the heart of God and the gospel and the word of God that says, yeah, it, it it is broken and it is messy. Uh, and, uh, and we have hope to, to, to look forward to that. It's going to all be made new and, and, uh, and we can persevere. Uh, and, and so we, I think with that, we can be honest and we can, we can tell the hard stories. We can, uh, we can, Speak to the complexities that we encounter, uh, whether it's, again, in in adoption, in foster care uh, and and global orphan care. And I think, you know, if we can continue to do that, then we're going to be able to continue to to encourage people to step into this space and follow God's leading by his spirit, uh, because we need more. Like in our city, we are desperate for foster families like there there are still so many kids that that need homes and there's kids that are waiting to be adopted. And so we need these families. Uh, so it's this huge challenge to be able to be honest about the really the real hard realities of it. But at the same time to say and and to call people into that. And so we're, I, I think right now we just desperately need the spirit of God to continue to move and to give us the strength and the grace uh, to uh, persevere in deep, deep, profound brokenness. And, and I think our God is great and he's mighty and, and there's hope that, that he can do that and he is doing that
1: and he will do that. Well, thanks again, Jason, for those uh, wise words that you were able to share with us. And uh, we're just going to go right from that into the Phil and Karen recommend section. So, Karen, what do you got for us?
0: One of my favorite authors and doctors and ultimately child experts that I like to read and I like to recommend for every single family that I get to get to work with and have the privilege of doing work at my practice is Parenting from the Inside Out. So the book title is Parenting from the Inside Out and it's by Dr. Dan Siegel. And this book gives you a little bit more information about some of the topics that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast related to attachment and adult attachment and how essentially when you have a better understanding of who you are and where you came from, it helps us, it helps you to raise your children in a healthier in more effective way.
1: Yeah, so I'm excited for the theme we had today, just really trying to understand some of these really important issues. And I think that this book will definitely help with that. And so if all the stuff that Karen talked about at the beginning of the episode is something that you're struggling with or you think you might um, be struggling with um, or adre- needing to address in any of the work that you're doing, I uh, strongly encourage you to pick up this, this book. And, uh, you know, if you have any further questions about it, you know, feel free to just drop us something to our, to our email address, info at uh, or just comment, uh, to us on Facebook. So with that, we, uh, are wrapping up another show and, um, thanks again for the download. Thanks for engaging this conversation with us. And I just hope and pray like I do with every episode that we do, that you will take what you learned today and apply it in real ways to help love orphaned and vulnerable children around the world with excellence. Have a great day.
2: We hope you've enjoyed today's
0: Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.